Today I want to talk to you about an important subject, a kingdom eternal perspective. This is a biggie. You hear me say this often, uh, have a kingdom perspective, keep a kingdom perspective, keep an eternal perspective. And it dawned on me a couple of weeks ago, I said, you know, I probably should preach and teach on that and explain that when I say that uh, so that you understand, because this, this topic is so important to me and so, it's so important overall that you keep a kingdom eternal perspective, especially in the day and time that we live. And so I want to make sure that we unpack this so you understand what I'm talking about. Specifically, uh, I want to talk about your perspective on this life you currently live as compared to the eternal life that you will also one day live if you're a believer in Christ. So it's, it's talking about this life and it's talking about the eternal life. And you'll see through what I'm talking about here, the parallels and how they're intertwined. We have to keep both of them in perspective. So let's first see what is the meaning of perspective. It's a mental view or prospect, a visible scene. Think about the word perspective. The interrelation in which a subject or its parts are mentally viewed. In other words, a point of view. The appearance to the eye of objects in respect to their relative distance and positions. You, you sometimes see on the side of a car, the, the side, side mirror, objects may appear larger or closer than they actually are. It's perspective. It's perspective. The capacity to view things in their true relations or relative importance. So we could say, well, I, I could be talking to somebody and they're standing on the beach and they're just looking at the water, and I can say all of a sudden, oh no, I just spilled my water, it's everywhere, there's water everywhere, and I'm talking to somebody standing on the beach. It's perspective. When I say there's water everywhere, everything is perspective. And so I want us to understand the perspective of eternity. So let me give you an example. A scene in a letter, a daughter away at college wrote to her mom and dad. Dear mom and dad, I'm sorry to be so long in writing again, but all my stationery was lost the night my dormitory was burned down by demonstrators. I'm out of the hospital now, and the doctor says my eyesight should be back to normal sooner or later. Another reason I have not written sooner. The wonderful boy, Bill, who rescued me from the fire, kindly offered to share his little apartment with me until the dorm is rebuilt. He comes from a good family, so you don't need to worry when I tell you we're getting married. <laughs> In fact, you always wanted a grandchild, so you'll be glad to know that you will be a grandparents in about five months. <laughs> and then at the bottom it said, over please. When they flipped the letter over, they read, please disregard the previous page. There was no fire, I haven't been in the hospital, and I'm not blind. I'm not pregnant, and I don't even have a boyfriend. But... I did get a D in French and an F in chemistry. And I wanted to be sure you received this news in its proper perspective. <laughs> Love, Mary. <laughs> so, students, if you want to use this, feel free. You can use it. Uh, it'll be online. Just go ahead and steal it. So, uh, <laughs> I thought that was cute. How, so important, how important perspective is that we keep perspective. The principle or concept of our perspective on this earthly life as compared to our eternal life is written about all throughout the New Testament, all throughout Scripture. It's a pretty big deal to God, and He wanted to make sure that we understood the perspective of eternity while we're here. 
In one section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is telling his listeners that their lack of perspective on this subject and on several is way out of whack. You're way out of balance. Their focus was on the wrong things. So let's look at the Sermon on the Mount. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Perspective. Matthew 6. Verse 25. Sermon on the Mount. Given by Jesus. People say the most important sermon he ever gave. Verse 25. Therefore I tell you. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Verse 27. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and here today and tomorrow was thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and, you, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. <clears throat> it's always good to read that scripture over and over and over again when you have some angst or you're worried about things or they get to the end of the month and there's more bills and there's money to pay them and you're just wondering about a lot of things in your life. It's so important just to go back and and I've done that over the years. Uh, You know, they say you don't know what it is to live on and to have faith or live on faith until you have to live on it. You know, you don't really know what faith is until you have to live on it. And uh, that was most of our lives in ministry from day one. It's like we did not know how paychecks were coming. We did not know how we were going to make it when we started Mosaic. I, I, it's an absolute miracle. I had three, little, three young children, and we had nothing when we started this. We had no church overseeing us, nobody giving us money, things like that. It was just a God thing from day one. And so it helped me at those times and those seasons to go back to the Scripture and say, God's got it. Did I hear from him? Were we supposed to start Mosaic? And I had that peace. And, uh, and God just said each month, or we never missed a meal, never went without. And God is, God is honored. So don't worry. You know, I know it's easier said than done. But this sermon was not only for the early disciples, it's for us as well. In our Christian life, we also become too preoccupied, really, with the vain things of this world. We get too preoccupied with the stuff that we think that we need. And uh, if you don't stop yourself and do a timeout every now and then, you go, wait a minute, why am I getting all caught up in this house or this car or these things or this stuff? What, what, whoa, wait a minute. Or Christmas. Why am I getting all caught up in all this stuff? And I just encourage you, especially this time of the year, just be careful. We allow our lives to be so cluttered with materialistic and insignificant concerns that we lose perspective of the things that really are important 
of the things that endure. We, we lose perspective. And I want us to keep perspective on who God says we are, how he's going to take care of us. Food and drink, clothing and shelter, time and treasure, and sowing and reaping. It's not that those things are unimportant. Not at all. Not at all. But when they become our primary focus, then our perspective on life is myopic, meaning it's short-sighted. While we're here on this earth, God is calling us to be far-sighted. He's calling us to look beyond this world in which we live in and to be far-sighted. He wants us to keep a kingdom or eternal perspective and not get all caught up in the things of this world. That's his heart. That's why he gave this sermon for them and for us. Stop worrying about all this insignificant stuff. Where are you in your heart with me? Where are you in your relationship with me? How are we doing vertically? We get so caught up in the horizontal. We get so distracted and so worried about stuff and things that are going to burn and have no real significance. A lot of it won't have any significance. God provides for us here and he, he takes care of us. But we get, sometimes we get caught up in what the world says we need and what the world says we should have. And we have to be very, very careful with that. How can we scale back our lives in the, in the next three, few weeks? How can we kind of declutter our lives? How can we go into the new year with not so much baggage? I would just encourage you to do that. My wife and I do that a couple of times a year. We're not hoarders. We don't collect things. If we haven't touched it in six months or so, it's gone. It's gone. We love living that way. You walk into our house or something, it's not clutter. It's not storage rooms. It's not, you know, stuff that hasn't been touched in years. Why are you keeping that stuff? Give it to somebody who could really use it. Get rid of, sell it. Get rid of stuff. Go through and declutter your lives. I would just encourage you to do that this year so that you can just get rid of the stuff that's holding on to you. You think you're holding on to it, but if you can't get rid of it and hold it loosely, you haven't touched it in two or three years, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Give it to somebody who could really use it. I'm talking not the things that you know, mean a lot and they hold significant memories to you, I know, but boy, just a lot of Christians just collect so much junk and stuff. Be loose. Be loosed. Uh, <laughs> The uh, writer of Psalm 119, he wrote a certain part in there, and he said he really wanted God to give him that eternal perspective. He said, turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. In other words, just strip me of everything, Lord. Help me to kind of make sure I keep the main thing, the main thing. Help me to keep my perspective in life. It's not here for all these toys and trinkets. It's, it's, it's here. I really, really want my heart to be with you first. Thank you that you've blessed me with a home and you've blessed me with this and a car and you've blessed, you know, I'm a, we are, we are so wealthy Americans compared to the rest of the world. Uh, we, we are so rich in America. So the poorest of us is so rich in America compared to the rest of the world. And we just have to make sure that we don't compare ourselves with ourselves. The Bible says we are not wise when we as Americans start comparing ourselves with one another. Well, I should have a newer this, or I should have a better this, or I, my phone should be the, and I should have, and I shouldn't, and I, 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 me, 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 my, my, my. It's like 
eye trouble, eye trouble, die to eye, die to eye, and just live for Christ. God, just turn my heart toward you. Help me to get rid of all these worthless things in my life. I just want to be focused on you. Give me that kingdom eternal perspective right now and help me to declutter my life. And I would just encourage you to do that. The Apostle Paul was someone who totally understood what it meant to have and maintain a kingdom eternal perspective. If anybody knew about an eternal kingdom perspective, it was Paul. Even in the midst of hardship, turn to 2 Corinthians, please. 2 Corinthians. It's easy to, to say yes and uh, you know, be good when things are going good, but it's a lot harder when there's pain in our life or there's heartache or there's disappointment. It's a lot harder to say, Jesus, 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 when things aren't going well. But that's where we really tell what we're made of, is when things aren't going well. Is it still well with my soul? Paul, man, what he went through. And I just want to show you a kind of a glimpse of his life that he kept that eternal perspective. And if there's anything in his life that we could model or take into ours, I just encourage us to do that. Here, the Corinthians were comparing other apostles called super apostles with the, with the Jesus's apostles. And so they were comparing and said, Paul, you're this, but we've, we've got these other men now that we're following. Man, they are so far beyond you guys. And so Paul's like, oh, brother, here they are. They're already stumbling in Corinth. Corinth was a, was a tough church. So he had, to make, he had to stand up for himself. And he, he, it, it sounds boastful and prideful and arrogant, but he can't even believe it himself that he's saying these things. But he, he knew that he had to prove who he was. So in 2 Corinthians 11, chapter 23, he's questioning the, these new super apostles. So he's asking the church, verse 23, are they servants of Christ? I am, not, I am out of my mind to talk like this. Now, in other words, you know, I'm going to say some things about myself. I can't even believe I'm saying this. He goes, I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not unwordenly burn? That pastor's heart. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father, the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. It's like, whoa. Okay, so did the, the super apostles, could they stand up to Paul? Not at all. Not at all. And it, was, it, it bothered him that he had to boast about what he has been through. But he goes on. He says you know, he isn't enjoying all this talk about himself, but he wants the Corinthians to realize how deceived they've been. He also reminds them that he has been forced to remain humble due to a physical ailment. Some of you have physical ailments. Some of you have heard terrible news in your life. 
Paul can relate. He looked verse 7 of chapter 12. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul knew that this earth was not his home. He knew it. He knew it early on. He knew it from day one when he, you know, had that Damascus Road experience, when he had that come to Jesus moment, when he had that, that time where it was just him and God. He knew that this world held nothing for him. I love that song. This world holds nothing for me. And Paul knew that early on. For me, it took a while. Okay, it just, it kind of like, I think I can have both the world and Christianity. I think I can both have the think, think and grow rich, you know, and read all the Napoleon Hill and Norman Vincent Peale and all the, the books on how to, you know, I thought I could do that and also bring a little bit of Christianity in there. And that was my early journey. And I realized I can't serve both. I can't. I gotta, I've got to give up one of these. And I gave up that former life that was doing well in, but I had to give that up because I knew God had called me. I didn't know he called me to be a pastor until a year or so in. But then someone says, you've got a pastor's heart. I just go, what is that? Somebody tell me what that is. I have no idea what you're talking about. Because I was in around, you know, all that Christianese, got saved, you know, at 22. So I didn't have all the terms down and all this stuff. And so I started learning what it meant. And, and then I had to realize, wait a minute, I can't serve two masters. I can't serve two masters. I've got I've to completely get sold out here to Jesus. I can't have both worlds. And that's Paul. He knew he couldn't either, but he went a step further and said, this isn't even my home. This, this place holds nothing for me. This earth holds nothing for me. And again, it took me a while to get to that point, but that's what God wants us to get to. So we find in Corinth, we find Paul having to defend himself in Christ. But at the church of Philippi, he gets to define his walk with Christ. Turn to Philippians chapter three. Philippians chapter three, two or three books up. Philippians chapter 3. Now he's defining himself. Before he had to defend himself, now he's going to define his walk with Christ. Philippians 3. Just hear his heart in this. Verse 10. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Oh, what, a, what a powerful scripture. Verse 12. Now that I, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. His mind is so thinking eternity. It's so thinking of God's kingdom in heaven. Verse 15, all of us who are mature 
should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already obtained. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just remember what we forgot? You know, oftentimes I think, I just wish I could remember what I forgot. That would be so nice. But it's just, it's a point, could I just live up to what I already know? It's not like I need a ton more, you know, scripture after 40 years. I do, and I always need scripture. We all do. But it's like, I just want to live up to what I have already learned. That would just be good for me and stuff. But that's what Paul's saying. It's like, just make sure that you live up to what you already have attained. Then he goes on in verse chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And he's going to tell us how not to be anxious. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving in your heart, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Because he knows He's human. He knows we all have these concerns and these worries and these fears, but he's saying, stop. If you can, just stop. You want to know how to be content? You want to know how not to be anxious? This generation, they're saying, is the most anxious generation on record. The most stressful, the most worrisome generation on record is what the people that are living now. And they're thinking several reasons with the onslaught of the information age. There's just so many different things that are going on. And there's just this anxiousness and this angst that a lot of people live with. And a lot of times we don't take the time to be still and know that he is God. So that I said last week, this generation has been called not healthy. They don't know God because they can't be still. And you can't know God unless you're still and know that he is God. And that's why I told you last week, take the Sabbath. If you're going through a crisis of faith last week's message, or you're deconstructing your faith, just go and ask those questions that I had you ask last week. It's all online. Just go sit somewhere quietly on this Sabbath and say, Lord, help me to ask these these of myself. You've heard me say the unexamined life is not worth living. The unexamined life is not worth living. You need to stop and really have some quiet, noise-free time and just think about, God, what 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 do you got for me, God? Help me to not worry. God, give me a more thankful heart. Help me to, instead of fretting, to pray. Instead of being anxious, to pray. Wow, what a novel idea. We have not because we ask not. So, and then you've got to ask with a good heart and just say, Lord, I humble myself before you. You know my needs. And I'm going to ask you, I'm going to put this in front of you. A lot of times people make that the last thing that they do. It should be the first thing that God wants us to do. It's just stop, drop and pray and just say, Lord, would you please help me through this? And he will. We have not because we ask not. So Paul is trying to get them to think vertically. He's trying to get them to understand this world that we live in. And he reminds them how to find contentment in verse 11. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Verse 12, chapter four of Philippians. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in, every, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Wow. So he's telling us here how I can be content. Here it is. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Well, and, and Rick, the point? 
The point is that I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. It's not in you. It's not in me. It's not in some mentor. It's not in some pastor. It's not in some guru. It's, it's in Christ. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so it's important that you don't lean into the, the philosophy of the world. It's important that we lean in to say, Lord, would you please, your Holy Spirit lives inside of me um, if I'm a believer. And so Holy Spirit, you say you're, you're my helper, my wonderful counselor is a couple of your names. I really need you to live up to your name today. I really need you. To Lord, you're Prince of Peace, I need peace. King of Kings, I, I, need, I need somebody who's a lot stronger than me. I need, look at all the names of God. If you need to ask him to live up to his name, just be specific. Be specific. God, could you be Lord of Lords today in my life? Could you be this? And he will. He will. Could you be merciful to me today? Because I sinned, feeling guilty, got some shame that crept in from the enemy. I need you to be the gracious father. And he is. We just got to talk to him and say, God, I blew it again. Can't believe I sinned in that area again. And God says, come here, come here. Would you just carve out some time with me today? Can, can you just talk to me? Could I show you how crazy I am about you? Could we just sup together for a little bit today on this Sabbath? Could you just forget all the other plans? And could you just steal away with me for a little bit? and talk to me. And, that, and, and that's just a discipline that we have to have. Silence is a discipline. If you don't love silence, something's wrong. Seriously. If you don't love silence, something is wrong with your soul. You need to love silence. You need to, and it's a discipline, folks. So it's important that you just shut off not only the radio, the TV, the blah, 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 your mouth as well. Okay? It's, in, it's important that we shut that off and just chill. And just, I mean, we live in such a beautiful part of the world here. Just go to the mountains. Just go to a park. Just go drive the parkway. Just, and just pull over. And just not hear car noise. Not hear somebody with a stupid you know, radio on or something. I, I always get to say when I go to, the, you know, go to a picnic or something, Peaks of Honor, and someone brings a boom box or they bring... Did you miss... The memo here, we don't bring those things in the wilderness, okay? Leave that at home, please. Leave that at home. You don't need music and noise all the time. So it's just Paul saying, go to Christ, talk to him, be still, know that he loves you, and you will be fine. Paul didn't even want to be identified with this world. He was a citizen in another place. Look back at chapter 3 there, verse 20. This is Paul saying, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He, 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 was, he didn't even want to be a part of this world. I'm not even a citizen of the United States. I'm not even a citizen. I am this. My first citizenship is in heaven. My first citizenship is with God. And I just happen to live in America. And they say I should become a citizen. But if you're a born again believer, your citizenship is in heaven. It's, it's with God. You're, you're, you're part of his kingdom. I like how Johnny Erickson taught it, but I read one of her books one time, your heaven called heaven, your real home. She puts it like this. When a Christian realizes his citizenship is in heaven, he begins to acting as a responsible citizen of earth. He invests wisely in relationships because he knows they're eternal. 
His conversations, goals, and motives become more, become pure and honest because he realizes these will have a bearing on everlasting reward. He gives generously of time, money, and talent because he's laying up treasure for eternity. He spreads the good news of Christ because he longs to fulfill heaven's ranks with his friends and neighbors. All this serves the pilgrim well, not only in heaven, but on earth, for it serves everyone around him. Johnny Erickson Tata. If anybody knew what they were talking about, it's her. This is not my home. But when you keep your citizenship in heaven and you understand where you're going and you have that eternal kingdom perspective, everything else here not only pales in comparison, but it makes sense. It makes sense. We're in the world, but not of it. We are, we are foreigners and strangers in this place. And so don't get too comfortable with earth. Don't get too comfortable. I think we find ourselves caught up in the things of this world. We need to ask ourselves, how much do I actually hate this world? You've got to ask yourself that. If you, get, if you find yourself caught up in this world, you need to ask yourself, how much do I hate this world? When I say that I hate this world, I'm not speaking about God's creation. I'm not speaking about that. There are so many beautiful places in this world. So many beautiful. I just enjoy God's beauty. Our kids, our three adult children sent us to Hawaii on our 35th wedding anniversary. We didn't know if we were going. So they called us. They said, we want you to know. We want you to kind of mark off this time in your life. Your three kids are sending you somewhere. And at the time, there was a real cheap ticket to North Korea. So we're thinking, gee, as long as we're not going to North Korea, where are we going? Rustburg, where are we going here? You know, so we're like, we had no idea where they were sending us. No idea. And then they told it, they said, we're not going to tell you until the last minute. My wife was going nuts. I'm going, yeah, this is going to be so much fun. But it was exciting. You're going to Hawaii. I was like, what? We're going to Hawaii. You're going to Hawaii for your 35th. Oh, that was such a blessing. Such a blessing. You talk about beauty. That talk about smell that gets in your nostrils and never leaves. It's like, I could go back to Hawaii. <laughs> and there's just something about that smell. And just, it's just beautiful. We live in a beautiful world. Okay? Think of where we live here in, in the United States. Central Virginia. Guys, unless you've tra- if you haven't traveled much, you don't appreciate where we live. We live in one of the most beautiful places in the United States. Here in Central Virginia. This, this is amazing here. Rick, Rick Brennison and I went out to Smith Mountain Lake on Tuesday. We're looking at a camp for a men's retreat in the spring. And just driving out there, and just, just the, the sun on, the, on Smith Mountain Lake, and the glistening, and seeing guys out there fish, and just seeing the ducks and the birds, just the drive out there was, and, and back was just beautiful. And I'm thinking, oh, we live in such an amazing part of the country. So I'm not talking about God's creation. That's not what I'm talking about. When I say hate this world, I'm talking about other things. So let me tell you what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this evil world system in which we live in. That's what I'm talking about. Let me give you a few examples. I hate a world where thousands of babies are aborted every day in their mother's womb. I hate that world. And I apologize because I know several people in this room have had abortions, I'm sure. And I am not judging you in any way, shape, or form. I just want you to know uh, that God forgives you. If you've never worked through that, and I know most of you have, 
but I worked with at-risk youth for so many years, and abortion was a form of birth control. It was just a form of birth control. I would try to encourage them, stop sleeping around, stop doing it. Don't worry, Rick, if I get pregnant, you know, I'm just going to abort. It was, it was their thinking. I hate that we live in a world where there's aborted babies every day. I hate a world where young people in the prime of their life are destroyed with drugs. I hate that world. I hate that world. I hate a world where families are torn apart by alcohol abuse. I hate that world. It's personal. I hate that world. I hate a world that is trying to redefine human sexuality. I hate it. I hate it. I hate a world that coddles criminals and makes a mockery of our police and our justice system. I hate it. I hate that world. I hate a world in which professional athletes are paid millions of dollars a year while hundreds of thousands of people are sleeping homeless on the streets. I hate that world. I hate a world where people judge and condemn one another on the basis of their skin color. I hate that one with a passion. I hate it. I hate a world in which people die agonizing deaths from diseases like cancer. Hmm. That's hit home personally with us, with a dear friend of Mimi's this last couple of weeks. I hate that world. I hate that world. I hate a world where innocent children are exploited, trafficked, raped, molested, and abused over and over and over again. I hate that world. I hate that world. I cannot stand to see a child abused and neglected, molested, exploited, trafficked. I, I hate that world with a passion. That's in me in a way that I just hate that world. I hate that world. And that's the world that we currently live in. That's the world that we currently live in. Not God's creation, but I hate this world in that way. I have to keep an eternal perspective or else I would lose hope. Really. Because I... I'm a pastor. I deal mostly with people's problems. Any counselor there that's here, you deal with people's problems. And that gets heavy at times. We, we do it because we're called to do it. But it's a, it's a tough world. Some of the things that I've heard in 40 years of ministry, if you would have told me I'd be seeing what I'm seeing now when I started in Las Vegas almost 40 years ago, I would have thought you were crazy. There is no way it's going to get that bad. I'm already, already living in Gomorrah. It's out of Gomorrah. There's no way it's going to get this bad. And it's not only this bad, it's worse than I could have ever imagined. The things that are done to people in the name of selfishness just breaks my heart. I hate it. I hate it. But I have to stay, maintain hope. And I have hope in Christ. I really do. How I personally feel about this world is not the lesson here today. That's not the lesson. The crucial point for you to consider is the biblical view of this world and eternity and compare it to your view to see how healthy your perspective is. That's the goal here today. What does God say about the biblical view of eternity and the kingdom of heaven compared to this kingdom? And where do you line up with your, how does, how's your perspective on heaven and here? What do you hate? 
What are we caught up in? So here's a few examples from God's word to compare your view to. Jesus said it this way. The man who loves his life will lose it. While a man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. You're like, wow, these are strong words. They are kind of that, they're kind of causes us to kind of wince and think, surely he didn't mean what he said. Yeah, it's all in context. He meant every word of this. He meant every word of this. What do you hate? What do you hate? Are we so caught up in this world that we can't even think about some of the things that we hate? Yeah, it's an inconvenience. Yeah, I don't like it. No, no, you need to hate it. You need to hate it with a passion. So we have to ask ourselves, do I hate my life in this world or do I love it? You got to make sure you don't take this out of context. It's what I just read. It's what I feel about certain things in this world. And so you have to ask yourself, do I hate my life in this world? Do I hate the fact that I was born in 1956 and I was, I'm living here in 2019 and it's, this is the time and the season that God had for me? Would there have been a better time to be born? No, because God ordained the steps of my life. He knew you were going to be here today. He knew I was going to be here. And so there's a point of just saying, for such a time as this, I am going to serve God in my own time. As the scripture says, will you serve God in your own time? Because this is your time. This is your time. Will you and I serve God in this time, even as sinful as this world is? So you had Jesus' point of view. Then you have the apostles. They had a point of view on this too. The apostle Paul gave a very strong warning about getting comfortable in this world. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. God's will gets a lot of attention. You know, you hear it a lot, you know, especially as you're going through college and stuff. You're going, what's God's will for my life? What's God's will for my life? What's God's will for my life? There isn't a single person in here who hasn't asked that. What's God's will for my life? What's God? I just want to know God's will for my life. Mimi and I were watching 700 Club. She pointed this out to me the other night. She says, Rick, I think you're going to like this statement that this gentleman made. Mike Donahue, lead singer for 10th Avenue North recently interviewed on 700 Club, and he wrote this book. And this is what he said as we were watching this interview the other night at 700 Club. What is your will for my life, God? Or why don't you just ask, what is my life for your will? Ah, it just jumped off the page at me. That's what we should be asking. Not what is your will for my life? What is my life for your will? You've heard me say, throw your body into it and your heart will follow. Sometimes we just need to throw our body into it and see if this is God's will. You heard me say, if you can't do something big, then do something small, but do something, anything at all versus just sitting around, you know, I wonder what God wants me to do. Just do it. Okay. And see if his anointing is on it. Just, just, if you can't do something big, then do something small. Throw your body into it. See if your heart follows, but don't sit there, you know, navel gazing. I'm just waiting on Jesus. Does him show me God? Just, come on. What God's will is, is you know your life. Do you? It's a point of saying, I want my life to be what Jesus is all about. If, I, if my life is what his will is, if I want my life, to, his will for my life is that I follow him. Wherever. Good friend of mine, Chuck Donnerberg, who's sitting here today. I'm traveling up to, from Orlando when I was consulting down there to upstate New York with my mother dying. 
and I'm wrestling with God's will and I'm calling on the phone and I, I was talking to Chuck and I had a you know, 20 hour drive in front of me to, get, to be at my mom's bedside and he and I talked on the phone and I said, Chuck, he said, Rick, how you doing? How you really doing? And uh, I said, I'm just struggling. I've got these offer in Texas. I've got this offer in Orlando. I've got, I don't, Chuck, ah. He said, let me just share something with you. Rick, this is God's will for you. If it pleases you to please God, do as you please. What? What does that mean? He said, I'm hanging up now, Rick. No, 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 I'm hanging up. Just don't forget this. If it pleases you to please God, do as you please. That's God's will. Goodbye. And then God just took that. But if he said this before he hung up, he said, Rick, one thing I want to remind you of. He says, I know you. And I know wherever you go, whatever you do, you're going to serve Jesus first. That's God's will, Rick. Oh, that just set me free. It just set me free from the worry and the angst and all the stuff. Because I knew wherever I was going to go, I was going to serve God. I knew that. I knew what I was saved from. I knew what God wanted to do in my life. I didn't have it all laid out. I just knew that my life was different and my goal in life was to serve him. I didn't know it was a pastor. I didn't know it was this, but God did. And I just started serving in the church youth group with three kids sitting on a floor in Las Vegas. Rick, would you serve the youth? Uh, okay. Uh, what do I tell them? I don't know. Just, we need somebody to watch over them. There's only three. Oh, okay. So the first night I just sat on the floor in a, a shopping center like the plaza that our church was meeting in with three kids. And we're sitting there in silence. <laughs> I didn't know what to say to them. And they didn't, surely didn't know what to say to me. And so it was like, we just started talking. I said, you know, guys, tell me about your life. And I just listened. And I'm like, wow, man. And now they wanted with somebody to listen to them. Next week, six kids come. They each invited a friend. Ooh, okay, what do I do now? And we sat there in silence. And I said, okay, guys, tell me about your life. They knew I cared. And so the next week there was 12 and then 24 and then 250 and then 350. And it's like, and the most thing I did was just affirm them that you're important and God loves you. And no matter what you've been through in life, God has hope and a future for you. And I just want to help you get there. I just want to help you get there because I know what he's done in my young life. And I want to help you with yours because adult conflicts are nothing more than youth conflicts that were never solved. And I want you to know God. And I want you to know him in your youth. I don't want anybody to look down on you because you're young. I want you to just serve God because Mary was a teenager. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were teenagers. Jeremiah was a teenager. And you look through all of scripture and all these teenagers that God used. All of them. 14 and an unwanted pregnancy. Mary, what do I do with this? She's 14 years old and pregnant. First unwanted pregnancy of significance. What do I do with this? And, and it's just, just want you to know God's will for you folks is right here in front of us. What is my life for your will? Make sure that your life is just sold out to Jesus. You'll have no trouble finding out what your will is, what God's will is for your life. You'll have no trouble finding out. But just every day say, I want my life to count. I, want, I don't want to just go, get up in the morning to go to work, to earn money, to buy bread, to get energy, to go to work, to earn money, to buy bread, to get energy. I want my life to count for something. I want to leave something that goes on after I go on. I want, I want my life to count. 
And, and if you're in Jesus, you have, you, you're already got so much going for you. God says, I've given you spiritual gifts. I've given you things that you don't even know of. I've, I'm going to unpack my gift in you. It's going to be amazing. Just stay sold out to me. Just forget all the crap in this world. Forget all the cares of this world. Stop worrying and being anxious. Just look to me. Just be excited about me every day. And don't worry a thing. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to clothe you. I'm going to house you. I'm going to do everything for you. I'm going to, I'm going to just show you a life that's not only amazing, it's an abundant life. And, it's, and I'm going to give you above and beyond what you could hope or ask for. Just trust me. Just give me your life. All of it, not just parts of it. Don't hold certain doors shut. All of it. Just be naked and unashamed and give me your life and then look out for the ride. And that's what God wants for all of us. Every one of us in this room. And that's you. He doesn't, he doesn't show favorites and you're never too old. End well. If you're in your sixties or seventies, end well, it's not too late. You may have been a jerk all the way up to this point, but you don't have to be a jerk when you go out, okay? Just end well and just say, you know, I'm tired of being a jerk. Yeah, we are too. But so it's a point of like, just, just say, God, I just don't want to be a jerk. I just want my life to end well. Just turn it over every day. So what's your will? Another apostle, James, let me close with this. Your adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Guys, these are strong words. These are strong words when it talks about this world. So I guess we all have to ask ourselves how comfortable we are with what the world has to offer in areas like entertainment, how to be promoted at work, winning by cheating, how to get my kid in the right school. The list goes on and on and on. Everybody's saying here, don't even think that way. What, what do you mean you're climbing this corporate ladder? What do you mean you've got to have X amount of money by this time? What do you mean you've got to... That's not even Christ-like thinking. Yes, do your best. Yes, strive for the right things. But who are you going to climb over to get there? Who are you going to kind of treat ugly as you get there? What are you going to do to cheat and lie to make sure that you kind of change the numbers on the page? What are you, what are you going to... The things that... Christians in my office have said to me when it comes to their taxes or it comes to the way they got their kids in school or it comes to the way they're lying about where they live. And I'm thinking, how do you expect that to be blessed by God? How do you expect to be blessed? You're deceiving the system. You're part of this world. That's not, we're above this world. Don't you think God's going to take care of your kid if you don't live in the heritage school district or the glass school district? Don't you think he's going to take care of him or her? He'll take care of you. Doesn't mean you got to lie that you're living with Aunt Betsy over here. Stop it. Stop it. How can you expect to be blessed? We're not. We're not going to be. Or I've got to make sure I you know, change these numbers a little bit. No, you don't. Don't do that. Don't do that. Let God take care of you. Because afterwards, guess who gets the glory? You do if it's you. Yeah, I did this. Right? Like these people getting their kids in uh, USC and stuff like that and all that's in the news and stuff. Put them in jail. A lot of grace there, ain't eh, John? You know, it's just it's just like, are you kidding? Stop lying. I mean, that's what money does. It just deceives. I can afford to pay half a million dollars to get my daughter in USC. I can afford to do that, so let's do it. And there's always somebody out there that'll take your money and do it for you. We gotta stop thinking like the world. James didn't mince words when he compared our friendship with the world with being an adulterer. Strong language. And then last, the Apostle John weighs in and makes the same point just as strongly. 
Let me back up a minute. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and all its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God, there it is again, who does the will of God. What is the will of God? Just become like Christ. More and more like Christ. We never arrive. It's a journey that we never end. Just, just that's God's will. Lives forever. And then Paul closes out and says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Ooh, to have an eternal perspective, to have a kingdom perspective, a perspective not of this earth, to just say, this is not my home. This is not my home. What will heaven be like? What about the ones who have died and gone on? Every one of us in this room have had someone who has died close to us. What's that going to be like? Can we live to see them again? Can we live to see them again? Can we imagine what it'll be like? Let's watch and close out with this very familiar song and video. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. I can only imagine. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only I can only imagine I can only imagine When that day comes And I find myself Standing in the sun I can only imagine When all I would do Is forever Forever worship you only imagine, yeah. I can only imagine. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus? Or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence? Or to my knees will I fall?
Take the time to only imagine. You need to go lay in the grass, not today, but you need to go <laughs> lay somewhere, go somewhere quiet, and just imagine. Just imagine what heaven will be like. And reunited with our loved ones, I can only imagine. can only imagine. So let's do the best we can while we're here on this earth to imagine heaven, to keep that eternal kingdom perspective Let's not get too caught up in this world, okay? Let's, let's, if you say anything convicted you here this morning, just take it to the Lord. Say, I need to really, it's a good time of the year. This is some of the things we're even going to do this Thursday night with you men. Don't miss the forge. I always like at the end of the year, and I'm going to walk us through some things on the 29th of December. I like taking the end of the year and just introspect and just think about some things. And what is it that I want to have different? 2020. How can I see Jesus more clearly in 2020? I want to see him as he really is. What does that look like? And so I just want to encourage you to just be jealous of time with God. Steal away that time with him and let him just speak, speak loudly to you in silence. So Father, I pray for each and every person in this room. Watch over their hearts today. Lord, help us. I know I need this reminder. I'm not getting caught, in, caught up in this world. I need to, to read those scriptures and to meditate on them again. I need as much, I love the, this quiet time. I love silence. But Lord, even give me room for more. Give me room for more. Because Lord, I know that in order to go deep, in order to go deep, we've got to spend that quiet time. So I pray for every soul, every person in this room. Watch over their hearts today. Watch over their walk with you. Let them be a, this a time, this month of December, that they evaluate maybe some resolutions that they would like to have in 2020 that will really bring forth more fruit in their life, more peace, less anxiousness, less worry, less stress. Because, Lord, you clothe the lilies of the field. You feed the birds of the air. How much more do you love us? Thank you for those scriptures and those promises. So, Father, we thank you for your love for us today. Bless us, I pray, in Jesus' name.